If you've got your Bibles, you can uh, turn to John chapter 13. And uh, we are continuing our series. We have uh, journeyed with Jesus and His disciples all through the early part of Jesus' ministry. Um, And now we have entered into the upper room. That was a few weeks ago where we came to... uh, uh, to start the the feast of the Passover, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and and this is as we said before, this is part of the uh, the very intimate kind of conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, and it is uh, such a privilege for us to be invited into this experience as John records it for us, and there are um, uh, in, in all of the Gospels, um, there certainly is. Uh, a uh, space set aside for this time where Jesus talks with his disciples. Um, but John gives us the most in-depth insight. Um, we're going to be here uh, right from John 13 to, to John 17. And uh, we'll still be here in the upper room. So that's going to take us all the way into the new year where we hear all of these important words that Jesus has for his disciples and how he is trying to uh, to prepare them um, not only for his death and his resurrection but also the ministry that they are then going to carry on beyond uh, his ascension when he goes to to be with the father and leaves the future of the church in the hands of these uh, 12 disciples and uh, and the others that are there with them uh, so it is significant and there is just wonderful things that we can glean out of the words of Jesus from here. So we're just going to look at a short little passage. We're going to start reading at verse 31 of John chapter 13. And uh, we're just going to read to verse 35. So it says here, When He had gone out, that is, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in Him. For if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going... You cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So also you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this um, encouragement to love. We thank You that You you not only are the source of all love, You are the very definition of what love is. And so when we in our hearts, when we have this desire to love others, And we're trying to figure out how best to do that. What a comfort it is to know that all we need to do is to look to You and to follow Your example 
and to allow You to lead us into that place of love. So uh, today, Lord, as we look at this passage, I pray that, um, that You would help us to understand what it is that You want us to know here from these words. Would it beyond, go beyond just uh, information that we would have in our head, Lord, but we pray that you, would, that you would move in our hearts so that we would not only know what love is and how we are to love others, but Lord, we would feel your love within us and the love that we would then send out to others would be your love put in our hearts. We look forward to what you're going to do within us and through us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a group and and as you look around at all of the individuals in that group, you go, how did this motley crew come together? What What a unique, eclectic group of individuals. That's why. When I was, uh, after my first three years of Bible school, I had an opportunity to go and work with the One Way Adventure Foundation in Little Headley, B.C. Some of you that would have traveled the old uh, Hope Highway through uh, Princeton Carameas, you would have seen the Camp Colonial sign with that great big finger, One Way Adventure. Uh, This was a Christian organization that did uh, residential care for troubled teens. And um, uh, it, was, it was one of those groups where often I would sit in the dining room or we would gather together for worship and fellowship and I'd look around at these people and just go, how did God ever find all of these wacky, weird individuals and bring them together in this one place? Um, there was uh, the the whole gamut. We had uh, a, a number of guys. There was uh, Bruce Peterson up here, big bearded man who was a former pastor. He had pastored for a number of years in Baptist churches down in the United States, and um, and he came and he was a part of this organization. Uh, we had. Others like, um, where is Sandy? I can't see Sandy. Anyway, uh, there was uh, uh, Sander who was a, um, a psychiatric nurse who had years and years of medical uh, training and uh, God had called her to come and be at this place. And then we would have others um, like, uh, uh, well, maybe I won't say all these names because <laughs> you might know some of them. Um, uh, but some of these guys had no education at all. They never finished high school. And uh, God had called them to be a part of this group. Uh, there was one of the, uh, there was actually a number of them that used to be a part of the program back when they were young and uh, found Christ. God had transformed their hearts and they were now on staff um, as a part of all of that. So we had former drug dealers. Uh, we had people that had spent a considerable amount of time in, in, in prison and in jail. Uh, one of these young men that was, that was here, uh, at, in his day, he had the longest juvenile criminal record in all of British Columbia. And he was a part of this group. Uh, we had uh, people that come, came from uh, very rich, well-to-do families, uh, that had lots of means. We had others who 
uh, had never really had more than uh, two nickels to rub together at one time. Uh, they were they were uh, in in a lot of need throughout their whole life. We just had this whole gamut. We had people, lots of people from Canada, but we had people from the United States. We had, uh, when I was there, we had people that were from Australia. We had a, a young lady that was from Sweden. There was just this huge eclectic mix. And then there was this angel who was also there, um, who I met and fell in love with and got married. Um, all kinds of weird people. And yet there was something about this organization that, that God was able to use. I think if the disciples every once in a while would have stopped and looked around at the twelve and, and, and beyond that, those that were there with Jesus, they could have said very much the same thing. How did all of these characters end up in one place? There was such differences in, in their in their socioeconomic background, um, uh, likely even in some of the uh, where they lived, that they were from different locations. Uh, there were those that had very different worldviews uh, from from others. Um, we look at Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen. Um, but even though they were brothers, as we know, often brothers are very different kind of people. Uh, Peter was very outgoing, outspoken, and reactionary. Andrew seemed to be, from the accounts that we see, was much more subdued, was very quick to come alongside other people, a real supporter and, and encourager. He was the one that, uh, that when he heard his first response when he met Jesus was to go and get his brother and to bring his brother so that he could meet Jesus as well. Uh, then we have James and John, also fishermen, uh, but at the same time, a uh, very different level of fishermen than what Peter and, and Andrew were. Uh, their father was wealthy enough to be able to have servants that were involved in the fishing expeditions. And so they were likely from a much um, higher or, or, or more successful kind of a fishing outfit uh, than what Peter and Andrew had. And, and yet also one of the things that, that some scholars have speculated uh, that, that John and James actually had family connections um, with the, the house of Aaron, that, uh, that they would have had access to the temple in a unique way. That's one of the reasons why John's Gospel seems to give us much more detail about the trial in the Sanhedrin, in the, in the temple courts with the high priest, because he would have had access. And we read that it was actually him that was able to get Peter into the temple courts during a time when the temple was all closed down uh, in, in the middle of the night when Jesus had been arrested and stuff. And so these two would have likely had that kind of a family connection which would have put them on a very different level than what uh, uh, Peter and Andrew had. Uh, we have Matthew, uh, who was the tax collector. And as many of you know, tax collectors uh, were not popular people in, in, in the land of Palestine. Uh, they were the ones that were seen as traitors because they had aligned themselves with the Romans and they were collecting taxes from the people to give to the Romans. Now, right off the bat, that's not going to be a popular role to be playing. But beyond that, because they were so unpopular and ostracized, 
they had no qualms by uh, being very corrupt and collecting far more taxes than what they needed to so that they could line their own pockets uh, beyond. And, and, and so they would have had quite a, a, a materialistic, wealthy kind of a lifestyle. And so Matthew would have probably had very fine clothing, would have been used to very fine foods and growing up in that kind of setting, would have been involved. We see you know, a number of times where tax collectors were gathered together for parties and stuff like that. and That would have been his experience. Very different from, uh, from some of the others that were there as, as disciples. Uh, Philip. Philip is kind of interesting because even though he was a Jew, he went by his Greek name, Philip. Um, don't know exactly, don't, the Bible doesn't go into detail of, of why he was going by his, his Greek name. Could very well be that he was much more involved in, in merchant um, activities and stuff where he was uh, traveling around and, and uh, involved with trade with other areas and things like that. Um, and so, again, he would have been from a more wealthy kind of a, of a place and, and would have a world experience that many of the other disciples would have never had, uh, seeing all of the other temples and places of worship that were strewn all around the Roman Empire, um, which those that were in Palestine would have not seen anything like that because they were very strictly monotheistic and didn't allow any other kinds of places of worship where within, their, within, their, uh, within this, uh, the country. Thomas. Thomas was a bit of an enigma. On one hand, we see as we saw in uh, John chapter 11 uh, where Jesus had just heard that Lazarus had died and... Um, and they were dis- and he was decided to go to go and see his his family and everybody else was kind of warning him you can't go back there because the Jews are looking to kill you um, Thomas was the one that stood up and said if Jesus has to go then let's all go and we will go and die with him willing to to give up his life to follow this one that he had come to know as the Messiah. And yet this is also, Thomas, the same one um, who doubted um, that, that, uh, that when, when Jesus had, had r- risen from the dead, he said, I won't believe it till I actually see and am able to put my fingers in his holes in his hand and the hole in his side. So even though he had at one point this, this real strong faith and, and ready to die for Jesus, perhaps he had been the kind of individual that had been disappointed often. And, and at Jesus' crucifixion, he had just, that was kind of the last straw for him. And, and he wasn't ready to follow anything unless he had seen the evidence that it was true, that it was real. Um, we have uh, Judas um, likely from the southern town, with us, one of the only of the disciples that that was from outside of the area of Galilee. You know, the Sea of Galilee that's up in the northern part of Israel. Um, all the other disciples seem to be from uh, that area, part of the Canaanite area, part of Galilee, Nazareth, uh, Capernaum, and all the others. Uh, Judas, his designation as Judas Iscariot, means from the town of Kirioth. And so that is a town that's part of the southern nation of, of Israel, closer to Jerusalem. And so he would have been different from a, a different area and, and have a different perspective on life. 
And then there were uh, many of the other twelves that, that received very little attention in the Gospel accounts. There is Simon who is identified as a zealot. Uh, the zealots were fanatical Jewish nationalists. And, and, and they were uh, uh, very determined to follow all of the rules and regulations of the law uh, to be able to, to purify the nation. And they were angry at anybody that would, that would somehow compromise in any way with uh, bringing in other religions or, or not following the law in the way that they should. Uh, they were absolutely abhorred by the fact that the Romans existed within their nation. And, and so often that these guys were involved in the guerrilla warfare to rebel against the Romans. Um, and so uh, Simon the Zealot likely was more of a military kind of a person because he was part of that whole group where he had likely been involved in a number of the insurrections that had come up at different times uh, where they had tried to undermine the, the, the Roman legions that were there and would do the guerrilla warfare attacking in one place and then sneaking off to, to hide. Um, uh, and so, uh, again, there's all of these very different kind of individuals with all these different perspectives, all these different worldviews. And Jesus had brought them all together. And, and we've seen uh, through a number of the accounts, both in John as well as the other Gospels, uh, that there were conflicts that came up uh, within the midst of all of these guys. Um, arguments over who was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. Um, those that were sneaking in to try and say, we want the most honorable spot uh, seated next to you in your, in your kingdom. Uh, there was uh, uh, disagreements about uh, how how best to be following Jesus. What were some of the ways that they were going to interact with Jesus and stuff? And and you can imagine that with this eclectic group of people, uh, there was uh, lots of those kinds of arguments. And into this mix, Jesus then says, "I want you to love one another." Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. I don't know about you, but when I'm in those kinds of places where there is this diverse group of people, people with all kinds of different ideas of what is right and what's wrong, uh, people with different priorities of how we should be using money, it can be difficult to love one another. And yet Jesus says that this is going to be one of the key components for their testimony in the world. Is that their love that they have for one another is going to be that indicator that others are going to see and say there is something different about those people. That encouragement, that, that, that command from Jesus lands on us today in an equally difficult kind of way. As, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was intrigued once again about the timing that God has in our lives. There was no 
planning or anything, but just in, in light of what our nation has gone through here in the last uh, month and a half or so with, with election and campaign and all those kinds of things, it highlights the lack of love that there is in our world. Uh, the, the way that we allow those things that make us different from each other to then become the reasons that we isolate and we attack and we keep ourselves separated from people that are different than us. The, the election, and, and, and I know, that, you know, reading from history, that there isn't anything that unique about this time around. There's always been mudslinging and all the rest of that that goes on with, with elections. But there just seems to be... And I guess part of it has to do with the, the availability of social media that we're able to put our thoughts immediately on in, in, in a setting that, that, that we can then uh, defend our position and attack those that have different positions with somewhat of an anonymity. We don't have to look somebody in the eye and say, you're wrong. And it just prompts people to to then get even more nasty in the way that they, they criticize other people that have different opinions than they do. And it just, there, there is an ugliness uh, that has gone on. And, and, and God in His wisdom has timed us all out so that we come to this passage at this time with this command, this challenge from Jesus that we are to love one another. I look around this room and I know that there are differences here in this place. We don't all see the, the, uh, the issues of the day in the same way. Um, one of the things that last month when we got together and, and talked about uh, hell together, we saw that there were some different ideas about some some foundational kind of uh, doctrines that are there in Scripture. I know that, that in the past there have been some issues here within our congregation that have resulted in people seeing things very differently uh, from, from each other and that has created conflict here in our midst. Um, and yet Jesus commands us to love one another. And one of the things that I have said this before and I will continue to say it again and again because I think it is, uh, it is really important when we come to this uh, uh, understanding of the importance of love, of loving one another. It is easy to love people that think the same way that I do. Just go to any football game, soccer game, hockey game, baseball game, and you can see that, that you can get a whole coliseum stadium of people passionate right along with each other, getting along great even though they've never met each other. They will be singing songs together. Uh, they will be cheering and, and, and crying all at the same time because they have this common theme, this common 
mission that, that unites them together. And it is easy to love all of these people because they all see things the same way that I do. Love in that setting has no need for divine intervention. But it is exactly when there are differences of opinion, when there are different priorities, when there are different ways of seeing the same issue, and that conflict naturally begins, that, that in that place, to have love reveals something deeper than just our ability to be able to, to get along with one another. That is where we need Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and to be that unifying factor in our midst. So that when the world would see our lives in that place and see the love that we have for one another, they will indeed be able to say, there is something different here. These people are so very different and yet there is a deep love that is palpable in their midst that unites them together. And that was certainly one of the things that I saw a month ago when we, when we had that potluck and the discussion about hell was even though, even though there, were some, there were some great differences of ideas of, of the, the nature of hell and, and, and all of the, the details about hell there was still a, a respect and a love for one another. There was a recognition that, that those ideas come out of past experiences. And, and to be able to, instead of just talking over those that speak differently, that have different ideas than me, that we were able, willing to listen, to hear other people's experiences to try and understand where it was that they were coming from so that we could then find that place in the midst, in the middle of, of, of the different ideas to find where Christ was trying to draw us together as a unit, as a family. That's the kind of love that the world is going to see and say, I want to be a part of that. I have to tell you, in, in my role as, as, a, as an online mentor, one of the other jobs that I do is, is to be on the computer with a ministry called The Life Project where we are um, interacting with people from around the world who are on the Internet looking for answers to the struggles that they have in life. And, and in that place, I have to tell you, the thing that I see the most is loneliness. Broken relationships. There is a, a hunger in our world to belong. To find a place where I can be loved and accepted for who I am. And when we as, as God's people show that kind of love and acceptance for one another, even though there are great differences between us, some of us are really short little people. <laughs> Others are tall people. All of these differences that are there, when we still are able to show that love for one another, 
the world will see that and say, I, I need to be a part of that. I'm missing that in my life. How do we do that? <laughs> Jesus, absolutely. If that love that we have for one another is going to be genuine, it's going to be authentic, it needs to come from the very source of love. We need to have our attention focused on Him listening for His leading and guiding our lives so that we can know how best to love each other even in the midst of those differences. It is, it is a, a crucial component that God will speak His love and His truth into our lives so that we can then bring correction to one another. Just because everybody has different ideas doesn't mean all of those ideas are right. And so it is in that, in that place of love that we are able to correct, not to leave somebody in a place of wrong understanding, but at the same time being able to accept them as they are even with some of those different ideas than what we would have. And to love them and still work alongside with them in the mission that God has called us to as a, as a people, as God's congregation here within this local area. How can we do that? I have no idea. But God does. And the Spirit, as we keep our eyes focused on Him, He will lead and guide us into that place where we love each other well. We also need to be willing to love each other well. And that means putting ourselves aside. Putting our needs aside. To be able to find ways that we can serve the other in our midst. That's why Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. How did Jesus love us? He sacrificed Himself. He died in our place. Have a look around at the people who are sitting next to you. Are you willing to give your life for those that are around you? Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. And for strangers. People that we don't even know. How can we do that? Through Christ. Transforming our hearts. Making us new creations. And being willing to follow even when it means sacrificing our own needs. Sacrificing ourselves. But as we do that, we are going to see God work in such an amazing way here in our midst. 
our lives together as His family are going to be unbelievable. I told you about the One Way Adventure Foundation. And, and while there was this, this crazy mix of people, those are some of the best relationships, best friendships that I've ever had in my life. That's because God had knit us together, woven us into this tapestry that was able to work through really challenging circumstances, dealing with some of the young people that that had huge hurts in their lives, dealing with huge anger issues. And for us as a, a staff to be able to work together to reach out and meet the needs of these young people... Some of the closest, most intimate relationships and friendships uh, that I have in my life. God can do that kind of experience here within this local congregation that as we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, we are willing to follow His Holy Spirit in loving one another in, in extreme ways. That God is going to create something here, a community, a family of love that not only is going to make our lives amazing, but it's also then going to be a light that's going to shine in this community. And we will see people coming from horrible circumstances discovering the grace and the awesome love of Jesus Christ in their own lives. I don't know about you, there are very few things that make me more excited than seeing people rescued from a destiny of destruction. And I <laughs> I say, more, Lord. More of that. We want You working in our midst. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Teach us to love. Teach us to love the way that You love. Lord, I know in my own heart there is such a hold that my greed and selfishness has on my own life. And so often I am unwilling to look outside of myself to find ways that I can that I can serve the needs of others. Would you break that in my heart? Would you would you free us all from from the captivity that that flesh has, that hold that it has on who we are? And would your would Your love be the defining characteristic of this family here in this place? That when there are those that would come and visit, those that, uh, that accidentally come in the way and, 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 and interact with us, that they would experience a love that can only be described as divine. 
And through that, Lord, would we see many lives saved from the dominion of darkness to be welcomed into Your kingdom of light. Oh Lord, let it be. Amen.